In uh, starting at verse 14, we read, And when the hour was come, he sat down, and the twelve apostles with him. And he said unto them, With desire I have desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. But I say unto you, I will not any more eat thereof until it be fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And he took the cup and gave thanks and said, Take this and divide it among yourselves. For I say unto you, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God shall come. And he took bread and gave thanks and break it and gave it and gave unto them, saying, This is my body which is given for you, and this do in remembrance of me. Likewise also the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the New Testament in my blood, which is shed for you. Lord God, I come to you now, Lord, asking uh, for your assistance, your aid, your help, as I begin to um, look into this uh, lesson. I pray, Father in heaven, that it would be a lesson that would be um, both instructive as well as edifying and encouraging, because uh, it, it, it is. It, it's very, very encouraging what uh, we are getting ready to read here, what we're getting ready to look into. And especially in these times, Father, we, uh, we need to be reminded of the hope that we have in Christ Jesus. And so we thank you so much uh, for what Jesus has accomplished on our behalf and what he yet will accomplish in the future. We thank you and praise you in Christ's name. Amen. All right, so we read here uh, that the hour has come. That the hour has come. Now, the word hour in your Bible is uh, one of those words that can either refer to a, a, a definite period of time, like what we understand as in 60 minutes, right? But also in the Word of God, the hour uh, can also refer to a season or a moment or an occasion uh, that uh, is made up of um, different events all accomplishing uh, within this hour that takes more than just 60 minutes. Okay? Uh, As an example um, of this... um, season or occasion uh, when um, Jesus and his disciples were out in the wilderness and his disciples came to Jesus because they were concerned about the people uh, not having any food in Mark 6.35 it says and when the day was now far spent his disciples came on to him and said this is a desert plate and now the time is far past you guys know I like to use my Strong's Concordance. So when I looked up the word hour, the word day and the word time is the very same word that we read here as hour in Luke. So what we see here is an extended period of time, right, that uh, talks about a, an occasion with the people in the wilderness. It was well past the time, uh, dinner time for these folks, and these disciples were concern for them. So that's what it is with it, with this with this hour that we're talking about here uh, as far as the Lord. And the Lord's life has been leading up to this to this hour, to this time, to this uh, occasion. Uh it it just has been uh this hour that encompasses a series of events such as his betrayal, his arrests, his being beaten, his being crucified and dying. All of that is encompassed in this hour. Uh, In fact, in the beginning of his ministry, uh, he made note of this particular hour. You remember when uh, they were there at the wedding in Cana and they ran out of wine and his mother Mary uh, came to Jesus and, and said, you know, they, they need your help, your need, they need your assistance. Well, Jesus uh, saith unto her, her woman, what have I to do with thee? Mine hour is not yet come. Uh, he wasn't being disrespectful, right? He was just saying, okay, you know, what do you need? Uh, mine hour hasn't come yet. So he was very conscious of this hour, even in the very beginning of his ministry. You might remember also reading where his enemies at times wanted to take him and destroy him or arrest him and do something with him, uh, but yet they couldn't. And the reason given is what 
The Bible says, like John 7.30, Then they sought to take him, but no man laid hands on him, because his hour was not yet come. You know, it wasn't time. Again, John 8.20, These words spake Jesus in the treasury as he taught in the temple, and no man laid laid hands on him, for his hour was not yet come. Well, that hour has now come. That hour has now come. In fact, later on in this very same chapter in Luke 22, uh, we're going to read about another hour that is associated with this particular hour. In Luke 22:53, it says, When I was daily with you in the temple, ye stretched forth no hands against me, but this is your hour in the power of darkness. So that hour of the power of darkness is also included in this particular hour Uh, that we're now looking at and so this hour had arrived and Jesus had come with the others uh, where Peter and John had been um, waiting for them there in that uh, large upper room uh, furnished for their needs for the feast none of the other disciples knew this location except for uh, Peter and John and I think I I talked about the man with the pitcher of water and that I believe that it was the young John Mark and it was to his mom's house uh, that he led uh, Peter and John and so since Jesus had already made these prior arrangements without the other's knowledge uh, that meant that Judas who was the the betrayer the traitor uh, he wouldn't have known of the locale of this place where they were going to observe the Passover Therefore, he would not be able to um, tell the leadership where Jesus was at so that they could come and, and take him, right? Come and take him before his hour was up, right? So, uh, so he was able to uh, have this uh, Passover with his disciples unmolested by his enemies except for the false disciple that was still there with them, uh, Judas Iscariot, uh, which uh, he would be excused and he would go out and he would, um, you know, put put in place his his treacherous screen, uh, scheme. But uh, what I want you to look at here is in verse 15 of Luke 22, and it says that Jesus said unto them, "With desire, I have desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer." You know, even though Jesus uh, was aware of what this hour meant. Uh, and that he would suffer. He knew uh, that he would suffer. Uh, He knew that he would uh, suffer way beyond the physical torture of the cross. Uh, He would also suffer, you know, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? You know, so he would also suffer that spiritual separation uh, that a lost man is going to one day experience. So he was going, he knew that this, uh, suffering was before him, but it says here that he desired to celebrate, uh, this uh, Passover with his men. Now that word desire, uh, is more than just, uh, desiring a, uh, a bowl of ice cream. Uh, before you go to bed at night, okay? Uh, this goes way beyond that. This is a very, very strong, a very intense word. And I know some of you are saying, well, you don't know what I'm like in my ice cream, okay? But this is a very strong, strong word, a very strong word. Uh, in a negative sense, and I'm going to compare the negative with the positive, in the negative sense in, in the Bible, uh, this, this word also... Um, describes the lusts of the flesh, those strong, overwhelming uh, longings and appetites uh, of the flesh. Example, uh, Matthew 5.28 says that whosoever looketh on a woman to lust after her hath committed adultery with her in his heart. So there's that, that sexual you know, desire or appetite. Uh, also, uh, there's the, um, I don't know if this is the correct word, uh, the physiological desire such that, uh, as hunger, as hunger. Luke 15, 16, and he would fain have filled uh, his belly with the husk that the swine did eat. That word fain is the same desire. He was so hungry, uh, he was willing to eat what the what the pigs were eating 
That's how strong it was. And then there's that avaricious uh, appetite. Uh, Acts 20:33. I have coveted no man's silver. And so coveting, that's a, no, greed. That's also a very strong, strong desire in some people. So lust, feign, coveted. I use all of these negative examples to accentuate the positive desire that Jesus had just as strong as it would be on the negative it was just as strong as it was on the positive the Lord really looked for and longed for and desired to be with his disciples even though he knew that it meant his suffering even when he knew that it meant his suffering now why would such an hour that meant his suffering be something that Jesus would long for. You ever thought about that? Why would this hour that meant his suffering be something that Jesus longed for? Well, it's because Jesus knew better than anyone, better than anyone that it would be this Passover that would usher in a new order, a new Testament, a new covenant, a new order. Uh, you might recall that the Lord at the start of his ministry in Luke chapter 5, uh, he spoke a parable to the people. And this is what he said in Luke chapter 5, verse 36. Now get ready because I'm going to have you look up some passages. But in Luke 5, 36, he says, um, No man puts a piece of new garment upon an old if otherwise in both the new maketh a rent and the peace that was taken out of the new agreeeth not with the old and no man putteth new wine into old bottles else the new wine will burst the bottles and be filled and the bottles shall perish but new wine must be put into new bottles and both are preserved you see we who are living in this new order this new testament we really do not appreciate what Jesus is saying here because we've been living the benefits of grace and, and the Spirit of God living within us. But prior to this, uh, these people were under the burdens of a, uh, of a legalistic, dead Jewish orthodoxy. Right, it, it, it was a burden upon the people. This old garment was a burden upon the people. And what Jesus is saying here is that this old garment that is a burden upon the people is going to be laid aside. It's going to be put away and a new garment is going to be is going to come about and this is this is what this is what Jesus saw this is why Jesus desired uh, to be here because he knew the old system was going to be done away with and a new system of grace was going to be introduced uh, Jesus alluded to this new order when he spoke to the woman by the well uh, he also spoke of an hour there as well in John uh, chapter 4 and verse 21 uh, Jesus saith unto her woman believe me the hour cometh when ye shall neither in this mountain nor at Jerusalem worship the father ye worship ye know not what we know what we worship for salvation of, of, uh, is of the Jews. But the hour cometh and now is when the true worshipers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth for the Father seeketh such to worship him. See, that's where we're at now. We're in that period of worshiping God in spirit and in truth. We, are, we live in the age of grace. We live in the age of grace. And uh, we're living in it imperfectly but it's far far better than the old system far far better than the old system something else about this hour Jesus in his humanity was troubled by this hour in John twelve twenty seven, it says now is my soul troubled and what shall I say father save me from this hour but for this cause came I unto this hour you know, he, he, could, he, he knew that he was going to suffer. But he could see beyond the suffering. And he rejoiced. He could see beyond the suffering and he rejoiced. And that's what Hebrews 12.2 says. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith 
who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has set it down at the right hand of the throne of God. He could look beyond his suffering and rejoice. That's hard to do, isn't it? That's hard to look, to, to look beyond the suffering and to rejoice knowing that the hour of suffering is temporary. The hour of suffering is temporary. They include suffering. They include darkness. They include disappointment. But if you're a child of God, that hour will soon pass. And you have a glorious future ahead of you. And I think that is what Jesus is focusing on here. And this, I believe, is what Jesus is trying to communicate to not only his men that are there at the supper with him, but to you and me. And that's what I'm hoping to to show. That's what I'm hoping to show. Uh, Luke in his gospel, he really doesn't go into the detail of this hour as do some of the other writers of the gospel. For example, John's gospel. I mean, my goodness, there's what, three or four chapters devoted to this period of time. I think from 13 to chapter 17 is devoted to this period of time. But Luke is very, very concise compared with uh, John's uh, gospel. And as I was looking at this, it's almost as if Luke, uh, by the inspiration of the Holy Ghost, is trying to direct the attention of his readers not so much uh, towards the darkness of the hour, but to the glorious future that this hour ushered in. I mean, if you look at this passage, three times, three times Jesus mentions something about the kingdom. Something about the kingdom of God. Look here in verse 16. He says, For I say unto you, I will not any more eat thereof until it be fulfilled in the kingdom of God. Look at verse 18. For I say unto you, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God shall come. And then look at verses 29 and 30. And I appoint unto you a kingdom, as my Father hath appointed unto me, that ye may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom, and sit on thrones judging the twelve tribes of Israel. Three times in this section, in this hour that he's going to suffer, three times he mentions this kingdom, this kingdom of God, this yet future feast that will be observed. Now, quickly, when Jesus said that he would not eat or drink until this kingdom comes, does not mean that Jesus right now is fasting in heaven, okay? Uh, in fact, if... Um, in Luke 24, 41 through 43, the resurrected Jesus was among his disciples. And it says here in verse 41 of Luke 24, And while they yet believed not for joy and wondered, he said unto them, Have ye here any meat? And they gave him a piece of a broiled fish and of a honeycomb, and he took and did eat before them. Okay? So that's not a contradiction to what Jesus is saying in in Luke 22. That's proof (laughs) to his disciples who were kind of dull-witted or slow to believe that, hey, I'm alive and well. Everything is okay. Everything is functioning as it should be. You're not looking at a ghost. You're not looking at a figment of your imagination. You are indeed uh, looking at the resurrected Lord Jesus Christ. So that's not what that is. But what, in essence, that Jesus has done here is that he has connected the Passover with a yet future banquet in the kingdom of heaven, or in the kingdom of God. That's what he's done here. That's what he's done here. Now, the Passover was a joyous feast. Okay? It was, it, it was kind of like Christmas for us. It, it's a joyous feast for the Jews because what it was, it was a celebration uh, commemorating God's deliverance of Israel from the bondage of Egypt. Right? It was a liberation feast. 
And it was a feast, uh, yes, accomplished through plagues uh, upon uh, the, the, a Pharaoh, a uh, Pharaoh who sought to obliterate the nation. He sought to obliterate the nation. If you remember their history, what did Pharaoh want the midwives to do with all the male children? He wanted to kill them, right? Exodus one fifteen, and the king of Egypt spake to the Hebrew midwives, of which the name of the one was Shephira, and the name of the other Pua. And he said, when you do the office of a midwife to the Hebrew women and see them upon the stools, if it be a son, then you shall kill him. But if it's a girl, then you keep her alive. This is what they were delivered from. They were delivered from this wicked man. Think about the tribulation period. The tribulation period, also a time full of plagues. Also a time where there is a wicked king who seeks to destroy Israel. And yet they're delivered by what? The second coming of Jesus Christ. They're delivered by the second coming of Jesus Christ. So this Passover is going to be significant in the kingdom. It's going to be significant in the kingdom. Uh, The concept of a banquet in the kingdom was a constant theme of the Lord Jesus Christ as he ministered to the Jews during his time on on the earthly, uh, you know, his earthly reign on earth, not earthly reign, his earthly ministry on earth as he, you know, spoke to the Jews and presented himself uh, to the Jews as a Messiah. Uh, Turn to Luke chapter 12. Turn to Luke chapter 12. I want you to see some of these things. Now we've already studied Luke 12, but look at Luke chapter 12. And here he is, he's encouraging uh, those Jews who were following him and listening to his teaching. uh, Some of them even believing on him in Luke 12, 31. He says, but rather seek ye the kingdom of God and all these things shall be added unto you. He says, fear not, little flock, for it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Now look down at verse 36 after he gives them an exhortation to keep their lights burning and to keep watch clearly. A second coming context is being spoken about here. Look what he says here in verse 36 of Luke chapter 12. And ye yourselves like unto men that wait for their Lord when he will return from the wedding that when he cometh and knocketh they may open unto him immediately blessed are those servants whom the Lord when he cometh shall find watching verily I say unto you that he shall gird himself and make them to sit down to meet and will come forth and serve them so here we see the Lord of these men who were told to watch returning from what a wedding he's returning from a wedding could this wedding be in reference to the marriage supper of the Lamb in Revelations 19.9? And this subsequent banquet, could that be a banquet in the kingdom to come, in the kingdom of God? Look at Luke 13. Luke chapter 13 and verse 24. Luke 13.24, Jesus again is speaking about the kingdom of God. He says, strive to enter in at the straight gate. For many, I say unto you, will seek to enter in and shall not be able. When once the master of the house is risen up and hath shut to the door and you begin to stand without and to knock at the door saying, Lord, Lord, open unto us. And he shall answer and say unto you, I know you not whence you are. Then shall ye begin to say, we have eaten and drunk in thy presence and thou hast taught in our streets. But he shall say, I tell you, I know you not whence you are. Depart from me, all ye workers of iniquity. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth when ye shall see Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all the prophets in the kingdom of God and you yourselves thrust out. And they shall come from the east and from the west and from the north and from the south. That's the Gentile nations and shall sit down in the kingdom of God. This word sitting down is descriptive of reclaiming reclining at a table to eat. That was the custom. 
They would recline at the table as they ate. Remember when the woman came off the street to wipe the Lord's feet with her, the tears of her, of her eyes and the hair of her head? It's because he was reclining. He was reclining. So he's talking about those who are privileged to recline at the table along with Abraham and the prophets in the kingdom. Those who reject Christ will find themselves on the outs, while those who have received Christ will be with Abraham at this reclining at the table. Look at Luke 14. Look at Luke 14. Here's another uh, time that he talks about a supper or a banquet and an association with the kingdom. In Luke 14, 15, it says, And one of them that sat at meat with him heard these things. He said unto him, Blessed is he that shall eat bread in the kingdom of God. Then said he unto him, A certain man made a great supper and bade many and sent his servant at supper time to say to them that were bidden, Come, for all things are now ready. For they all with one consent began to make excuse. The first said unto him, I have bought a piece of ground and I must go, must needs go and see it. I pray thee have me excused. Another said, I have bought five yoke of oxen. I go to prove them. I pray thee have me excused. And another said, I have married a wife and therefore I cannot come. So that servant came and showed his Lord these things. Then the master of the house, being angry, said to his servant, Go out quickly into the streets and lanes of the city, and bring in hither the poor and the maimed and the halt and the blind. And the servant said, Lord, it is done as thou hast commanded, and yet there is room. And the Lord said unto the servant, Go out into the highways and hedges, and compel them to come in, that my house may be filled. For I say unto you that none of those men which were bidden shall taste of my supper. Again, we read about the kingdom and we read about this banquet. Those who were invited but refused the invitation will find themselves on the outside while those who accepted the invitation will be a part of this kingdom banquet. So we see this connection, don't we, between a great banquet and the kingdom of God. Jesus Christ is the fulfillment of the Passover lamb. Uh, we studied about that in our, in our last lesson. He is the lamb which taketh away the sin of the world, according to John 1, uh, 29. And for the believer in Jesus Christ, he is our Passover, uh, sacrificed for us in 1 Corinthians 5, 7. But in regards to the Passover feasts that the Jews were commanded to observe from, gener- from generation to generation, this feast will find its ultimate fulfillment in the kingdom of God. In the kingdom of God. As the Passover and Exodus brought forth an enslaved people into a new life and relationship with God as a nation from being in bondage from Egypt and a Pharaoh who wished to annihilate them, so will the Passover in the new in the kingdom uh, be celebrated as Israel is delivered from a king who seeks to obliterate them. And there is so much more to this Passover uh, that meets the eye. So much more to this Passover that meets the eye. Now for us as believers, okay, turn to 1 Corinthians 11.23. It has a significant meaning to us only because of the Lamb of God. And we all know this passage. This is a passage that our pastor reads every time we observe the Lord's Supper. But his death has accomplished so much. He says here in verse 23, For I have received of the Lord that which also I delivered unto you, that the Lord Jesus, the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take, eat, this is my body which is broken for you. This do in remembrance of me. After the same manner also he took the cup, when he had supped, saying, This cup is the New Testament in my blood. This do ye as oft as ye drink it in remembrance of me. 
For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you do show the Lord's death till he comes. So we're very familiar with this passage. Now turn to Hebrews chapter 2. You see, so many of God's people err in thinking that Jesus' death is, is, is an end in of, in of itself, okay? Um, I used to be a member of a particular dom- denomination that every Sunday you would see that and they would celebrate uh, his death during the service. That was always what was presented before the congregation. Jesus' death, I hope you understand, is not an end in and of itself. There is so much more there. Um, He indeed uh, won us the victory over sin and death. That's why I had you turn to Hebrews 2.9. Starting in verse 9, we read, But we see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor that he by the grace of God should taste death for every man for it became him for whom are all things and by whom are all things and bringing many sons unto glory to make the captain of their salvation perfect through sufferings that's what we're talking about here for both he that sanctifieth and they who are sanctified are all of one for which cause he is not ashamed to call them brethren, saying, I will declare thy name unto my brethren in the midst of the church, will I sing praise unto thee. And again I will put my trust in him, and again behold, I and the children which God hath given me. For as much then as the children are partakers of flesh and blood, he also himself likewise took part of the same, that through death he might destroy him that had the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver them who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. I wanted you to read that or see that because Jesus Christ did indeed win the victory over death and sin. Because of him, we have new life, everlasting life. And Jesus Christ is also the Savior of the world, especially those who believe. 1 Timothy 4.9, this is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation. For therefore we both labor and suffer reproach because we trust in the living God who is the Savior of all men, especially of those that believe. So Jesus Christ's death did win our salvation. We have everlasting life because of Jesus Christ. And yes, that is a great victory. But his victory is not complete yet. (laughs) I know that sounds maybe strange to some of us, but it's not complete yet. His ultimate victory will be complete in the kingdom. In the kingdom. In 1 Corinthians 15.24, I should have had you turn there because I want you to see this. 1 Corinthians 15.24, Then cometh the end, or the completion, when he shall have delivered up the kingdom to God, even the Father, when he shall have put down all rule and all authority and power, for he must reign till he hath put all enemies under his feet. The last enemy that shall be destroyed is death, for he hath put all things under his feet. But when he saith all things are put under him, it is manifest that he is accepted, which did put all things under him. And when all things shall be subdued unto him, then shall the Son also himself be subject unto him, that put all things under him, that God may be all in all. So when death and hell are cast into the lake of fire... And the new heavens and the new earth comes about, that will be the complete victory. Revelation 22.3 says, And there shall be no more curse, but the throne of God and of the Lamb shall be in it, and his servants shall serve with him. So there, that, that victory, we are yet to celebrate that victory, and we are going to be a part of that celebration. We are going to be a part of that celebration. Now, I know I'm going by way of Albuquerque to come to my point, so stay with me. Stay with me. What two things are we told to observe whenever we observe the Lord's Supper? 
One, his death. Right? His death. He took bread and gave thanks and break it and gave unto them saying, This is my body which is given for you. This do in remembrance of me. Likewise also the cup after supper saying, This cup is the New Testament in my blood which is shed for you. That's found in Luke 22.19, the passage that we're looking at. We've already looked at the blood in, the previ- in our previous lessons and that without the shedding of the blood of the Lamb of God, there is no remission of sin. We've already looked at that. Uh, in the broken bread, we see Christ broken for us. This speaks of our salvation, his death on the cross on our behalf. 1 Corinthians 1.18, For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness, but unto us which are saved it is the power of God. So his broken body speaks of our salvation. Um, in the bread eaten, we see a picture of Christ in us. Uh, this speaks of our sanctification, uh, being set apart unto God, being sealed by the Holy Spirit of God. First um, Corinthians uh, one, uh, Colossians one twenty seven says, "To whom God would make known was the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory." So that pictures Christ within us. And then the bread partaken that we share together uh, as believers in Jesus Christ, this speaks to our communion, to our fellowship, uh, to our unity as brothers and sisters in Christ. Uh, 1 Corinthians ten sixteen says, The cup of blessing which we bless, is it not the communion of the blood of Christ? The bread which we break, is it not the communion of the body of Christ? For we being many are one bread and one body for we are all partakers of that one bread so that partaking of the bread together as a congregation uh, speaks to our unity our communion with one another in Christ so when we observe the Lord's Supper what we're doing is yes we are bringing to remembrance the death of the Lamb of God that has procured to us our deliverance from sin and death of reconciling us to God and giving us everlasting life and eternal communion union and fellowship not only with God but also with one another that's the summation okay that's the the cliff notes of that we also are to observe something else his second coming his second coming this is what we're told we're to do we're to do this till he comes till he comes now it's true that there's coming an hour when Jesus, the bridegroom, will come for his bride, the true church. Uh, this is what we know of as the rapture. This is what Paul talks about in First Thessalonians chapter 4 and 1 Corinthians 15. But this is not his second coming. All right, uh, When the Lord himself shall return, he will come and literally put his feet on this earth. He will come and he will defeat the Antichrist throw him physically into the lake of fire he will defeat the Antichrist his allies both spiritual and fleshly he will deliver Israel from destruction he will judge the nations according to Matthew 25 and afterwards he shall establish his kingdom on earth ruling from Jerusalem and then there will be this great kingdom feast occur this great kingdom feast occur. Now, biblically, uh, you can go to the Bible and you can see this, but biblically, uh, there will be two Jewish feasts, at least two, two Jewish feasts observed in the millennial kingdom. Two Jewish feasts that will be observed in the millennial kingdom. Turn to Zechariah chapter 14. Zechariah 14. That's one of those hard-to-find books in your minor prophets. In Zechariah 14, if, if I were Brian, I'd give you the... Well, no, it wouldn't work. We're not using the same... Anyway, in Zechariah 14, this is uh, Zechariah speaking of the future kingdom. Verse 16... And it shall come to pass that everyone that is left of all the nations which came against Jerusalem 
shall even go up from year to year to worship the king, the Lord of hosts. And see what it says there? And to keep the feast of tabernacles. And it shall be that whoso will not come up of all the families of the earth unto Jerusalem to worship the king, the Lord of hosts, even upon them shall be no rain. And if the family of Egypt go not up and come not that and come not that have no rain, there shall be the plague that wherewith the Lord will smite the heathen that come not up to keep the feast of tabernacles. This shall be the punishment of Egypt and the punishment of all nations that come not up to keep the feast of tabernacles. In that day shall there be upon the bells of the horses holiness unto the Lord, and the pots in the Lord's house shall be like the bowls before the altar. Yea, every pot in Jerusalem and in Judah shall be holiness unto the Lord of hosts, and all they that sacrifice shall come and take of them and see therein, and in that day there shall be no more the Canaanite in the house of the Lord of hosts. So in the millennial kingdom, one of the feasts that will be observed will be the Feast of Tabernacles. Now the Feast of Tabernacles was celebrated by the Jews to commemorate the end of the children of Israel's wandering for 40 years in the wilderness. For 40 years Israel wandered in the wilderness and when they were to enter into the promised land then they were to commemorate their coming into the promised land by building uh, booths or little dwelling places out of branches of trees and that's where they would dwell in to be a memorial for what their fathers went through when they traveled through the wilderness for 40 years before going into the wilderness. So the Feast of Tabernacles will finally be fulfilled pointing to Israel's new position in God's millennial kingdom And it will commemorate her regathering and restoring and rest in the land because in the millennial kingdom, they will receive the land promised to them by God through Abraham and they will no longer be a people that will wander the earth in exile because they will be permanently in their land. So that's where the Feast of Tabernacles will find its ultimate fulfillment. Does that make sense? Kind (laughs) of. And these nations who come, I think these nations who will come during this time in the little kingdom, this will be an act of humility, an act of contrition, and an act of remorse on their part for when Israel was scattered among the nations for their part in persecuting the Jews in making it hard on the Jews while they were in the diaspora or in the exile or scattered among the nations. So the Feast of Tabernacles will be one of those feasts that will be observed in the Millennial Kingdom because Israel will now be permanently in the land. No longer, uh, what is the phrase, wandering Jews among the populations of the Gentile nations. That makes sense? Then we have the Passover. The Feast of Tabernacles. And yes, the Passover will be observed in the Millennial Kingdom. In in, in, um, Ezekiel 45.21, it reads, In the first month and the fourteenth day of the month, ye shall have the Passover, a feast of seven days. Unleavened bread shall be eaten. Beginning in Ezekiel 40 to the very end of Ezekiel in chapter 48, the theme of those eight chapters is Israel in the land during the millennial kingdom. And as you read through those chapters, you read about a new temple, you read about a new priesthood, all within this millennial kingdom context all within the millennial kingdom context. This is, what, this is what Jesus was talking about 
when he said to his disciples in Luke twenty two twenty nine, and I appoint unto you a kingdom as my father hath appointed unto me that ye may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom and sit on thrones judging the twelve tribes of Israel the millennial kingdom will be in force according to Ezekiel 40 through 48 and the Jews now we're talking on earth the Jews will be the ruling race the ruling race with Jesus Christ on the throne in Jerusalem in Deuteronomy 28:13 and the Lord shall make thee the head and not the tail right now they're the tail right now they're the tail they're still under gentile Oppression, the times of the Gentiles. And the Lord shall make thee the head and not the tail, and thou shalt be above only, and thou shalt not be beneath, trodden under by the Gentiles. If that, if that thou hearken unto the commandments of the Lord thy God, which I command thee stay to observe them to do them. In that millennial kingdom, the Jews will be the head of the, of the world. The Jews will be the head of the world. When Jesus will rule with a rod of iron, it will be a theocratic governmental system under the reign of the King of Kings and Lord of Lords ruling from Jerusalem. And it will be strongly Jewish in nature. Now we, as a church, will be in the New Jerusalem. Okay? That's where we'll be. We're talking about the inhabitants on the earth. And so these celebrations in the kingdom period will be very, well, they'll be Jewish celebrations. Tabernacles, Passover. The tabernacles will be celebrated because now they are experiencing their millennial, millennial race, rest. They're no longer vagabonds scattered throughout the earth. They're in their homeland, which is a, a lot bigger than that little strip of ground that's there now. In fact, during the Millennial Kingdom, it will stretch from the Nile to the Euphrates River. And the Passover will be a celebration of Israel during that time because of God's strong arm delivering Israel from the Antichrist. Just like he did from that wicked Pharaoh who sought to destroy them. And it will be a constant reminder to Israel, as well as all the peoples of the earth who died for all and paid for all, the price of redemption. Now think about this for a minute. When that millennial Passover is celebrated, Jesus Christ will be present with the nail scars in his hands and his feet and the wound of the spear in his side. And he'll be like what John saw in Revelations 5, 6, a lamb as it had been slain. So there in the millennial kingdom, when the Passover is being celebrated, there before everyone to see and worship will be the Lamb of God with the nail prints in his hands and his feet and in his side. Wow. Wow. This is what Jesus is celebrating with these men at this Passover. This is why he desired long to celebrate this Passover with his men. He said in Luke 12.32, Fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Matthew 19.28, Verily, verily, I say unto you that ye which have followed me in the regeneration, when the Son of Man shall sit in the throne of his glory, ye also will sit upon twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. Those men will be there, and they'll see the Lamb of God during this time. This is the joy 
This is the joy that Jesus had during that time, even though he knew it meant his suffering. Because he knew that only through his suffering would this ultimate victory be accomplished. He looked beyond the cross and saw the crown. And saw the crown. Daniel saw this day. Daniel 7.13, I saw in the night visions, and behold, one like the Son of Man came with the clouds of heaven, came to the Ancient of Days, and they brought him near before him, and there was given him dominion and glory in the kingdom, that all people, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom that, sh- that which shall not be destroyed. Abraham saw his day. John 8, 54, Jesus answered, If I honor myself, my honor is nothing. It is my Father that honoreth me, of whom ye say that he is your God, yet ye have not known him. But I know him, and if I should say I know him not, I shall be a liar like unto you, but I know him, and keep his saying, Your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day, and he saw it and was glad. And the people of God today should see this day as well. Titus 2.11 says, For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldliness, we lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world, looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior Jesus Christ, who gave us, who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from all iniquity and purify unto himself a peculiar people zealous of good works. You know what, guys and gals? (laughs) Of all people, we as born-again believers in Jesus Christ are the most blessed. I don't know if you realize that or not, but it's true. We of all people are most blessed. We of all people have a wonderful, glorious future ahead of us. With the death of Christ, there is now a New Testament. A New Testament. The old has passed away. Behold, all things are new. And I'm going to talk a little bit about this New Testament next Sunday, God willing. But for now, especially in these troublous times that we are experiencing in this country, Uh, Let's look with eyes of unfaltering faith onto that glorious future, onto that hope that we of all people have in Jesus Christ. Let that be an encouragement to you. Uh, Let that be a source of strength. Uh, Let us be a hope-filled people and not a fear-filled people. Because in Jesus Christ, we have a glorious, glorious future ahead of us. Amen? Gracious Father in heaven, we thank you, Lord, for this time in your word. And Lord, I felt kind of clumsy in trying to bring out this this, uh, joy that your son Jesus uh, experienced with his men, knowing that with his suffering, uh, he would he would usher in a, a, a new order, a new life, a new testament. And uh, Father, help us to to grasp that that wonderful thing that He has done for us, not only saving us, but also giving us that wonderful uh, future before us. Because one of these days, one of these hours, uh, we will be standing in glory, in the presence of Jesus Christ, our Savior. Uh, May that encourage our hearts daily. In Christ's name I pray. Amen.